of course, the clientele is medium, large size dogs. And when they asked me what kind of dog you have, I'm like, oh, I have two chihuahuas or I have lots of chihuahuas or I have little dogs. And they're like, oh, you have a big dog? I'm like, mm, not right now, but have or I work a lot with them. And it almost like, or even when I created my dog's Instagram page, I didn't feel like it was worth posting things working with the little dog. It's just a little dog. You can pick it up. If they pull, it's not a big deal, right? If they bark, you can just pull them away. So, yeah, that's kind of where I, I kind of understand when they're like, what does that mean? Or, oh, yes. you train little dogs the same. Yes. <laughs> my, most of my clients don't have Malinois. Like, they they have little dogs. They have chill dogs. They have, you know, your standard Arkansas forest dogs that are just like mixtures of everything. So it's really fascinating to me to look at that, like, and, and what you were talking about, that feeling too, of I can't, you know, do I share me working with my little dog? It, it's not as, you know, what, a, you know, all of that, because there is this kind of, this is weird ego thing, right? Mm-hmm. With being able to handle a much bigger dog. And I was like, okay, I will get a Malinois and I will show that I can do positive reinforcement with the Malinois. Right. <laughs> and how's that going? But it's hard. Yeah, I feel you on that, definitely. And with my little dog, so I got my medium. I still haven't DNA tested her. She's definitely some kind of border collie cattle dog mix. I'm not sure what else she has in her, but um, I definitely got her more for sport. You know, I think it's about time. My 10-year-old chihuahua, she's a chihuahua poodle. She's actually more poodle than chihuahua, but she looks chihuahua. <laughs> oh, chihuahua uh-huh. poodles are so cute. Yeah, she doesn't have long so hair. Cute. She's short-haired. Oh, really? She looks, you know, if anything, I thought that she was a Shiba, mm-hmm. maybe a Basenji mix. Oh. She's a poodle. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> right. And so she's driving. She does agility with me. She does nose work. We do like parkour. We do tricks. We've done so much leash walking work because she used to bark at everything. She says she loves training. She mm-hmm. loves training. She loves it. But she's older now, you know. She's I, I watch out for her health and make sure that I'm not overdoing it with her. So that's why I decided to get oh we talked about what she was last time she yeah border. i was like i see the border collie for sure yeah she has like the spotted kind of like cattle dog print mm-hmm. and she doesn't act like a border collie she is very energetic but she doesn't focus in on things like a boy and she's not sensitive <laughs> so she's not sensitive at so all she's got the hardiness of the cattle dog oh man oh, they're yes. so hardy oh yes <laughs> She is just, I think she's, she's more cattle dog, if anything. Well, personality wise, I almost think she has a little bit of like some kind of um, Japanese dog in her just because of her personality. She's great to train with, but it's still kind of funny how, what she doesn't like zone in on it. Hi, 
Hi, welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein, and I have with me again, back for round two, Vivian Pineda, who is a certified dog trainer and lead trainer of the Puppy and Teen Program at Impetus Animal Training in Las Vegas. She is the guardian of two chihuahuas and a border collie cattle dog mix, and she runs group classes for puppies, teens, parkour, nose work, and trick training, along with being an AKC evaluator for Canine Good Citizen, Star Puppy, Trick Dog, and Fit Dog programs so many things (laughs) hi Vivian welcome back how are you (laughs) I'm doing great thank you so much for having me back excited to be and talk talk about little dogs yes I'm so excited that you are back and thanks for doing this again and uh, I appreciate your patience so much so last time we discussed your training journey and how you became a dog trainer, and we're going to delve into more about uh, small dogs this time. So your two chihuahuas, what are their names and ages and how long have you had them? So I have two chihuahuas living with me currently, and my youngest is um, Beans is her name. She is six years old. She weighs about eight pounds. And my oldest is Cupcake. (laughs) I got her when I was um, maybe 14, 15. And she is turning 10. Oh, no, she's turning 11 uh, next year. She's my older dog. Yeah, but she does not act like it. She (laughs) acts like a spunky little young dog still. Mine as well. So I have a miniature schnauzer and I think a toy fox terrier, maybe a toy fox terrier chihuahua mix. I'm not quite Mm -hmm. sure. Her ears are wrong. She can fold them back and put them up. (laughs) It's very cute. Um, Yeah, she's adorable. (laughs) But I have a 10 year old as well. And I think my toy fox terrier is about three. Um, But my 10 year old dog is so spry and just like you could never, no one guesses how old they are. And that's what I like about little dogs too. They live so long so nice it's so true and you know um I see her and I look at her and she's like athletic and she loves to do things but even me I just find myself like oh maybe I should like hold her back a little bit not let her do or overexert herself I do notice now though that she does like to sleep more Mm. she likes to rest more as much as she likes to um you know be out and about she gets more tired and you know so much shorter training sessions these days Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mine's a little bit more hesitant to like jump in certain ways. So I need to get them on some joint supplements. I think that'll help them. So I know you had mentioned before in your training journey that you you grew up, right, with small dogs and always had chihuahuas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my, I grew up with all size dogs, but we eventually, because we downsized in the size of our home, um, We also downsized with the size of our dogs. (laughs) So when I had my first dog, when I was very young, it was a Chihuahua. And that Chihuahua lived with also a Pitbull Massive mix and a Labrador. That's so cute. I was the one who took care of the Chihuahua. That Chihuahua also lasted. He was, oh my gosh, maybe 16, 17. And before he passed and he was great. And since then, um we had acquired one two cupcake had one dog before her when I was living with my family and then we acquired two more after that so eventually it was four so we had two females and two males and they were litter mates and then we had eventually five six 
we almost had six dogs. We had six dogs, six little dogs. <laughs> and um, then we would foster. <laughs> we oh, fostered wow. chihuahuas. Um, so we would occasionally have seven, seven dogs, seven little dogs in the hall. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was when we finally got out of um, like an apartment and we got into a home and then we're like, let's fill it with little dogs. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a little tempted. My landlord told me I could have a hundred dogs if I wanted to. So <laughs> that's awesome don't do it yet <laughs> take a, a break yeah three three is my max too because I, yeah. I like to walk them separately because just walks are more enjoyable when and that alone time I find is so important if you can but yeah I don't I don't know how I would walk a hundred dogs <laughs> so I know you also you're doing some social media posts about small dogs with the company that you work for Yes. And I'm sure that comes out of things that you've heard from clients or things that you've heard in social in social media or from other trainers. What are some of the misconceptions that you hear regarding small dogs? The first thing that popped in my head, I'm just going to say it, is like the small dog syndrome. And I'm not quite sure because I've heard mixed things about them. Like, is it a thing or is it not? Are, are people talking about how small dogs think that they're big dogs or like you know so that's kind of um the thing that popped in my head and I don't think that's all the way true or I would rather you know instead of labeling it something I want to talk about break that break that down so I guess that little dogs are more barky I would say depending on the breed maybe that little dogs are easier and again, I think that comes down to, that's actually, I think that comes down to everything, breed, genetics. Yes. I'm like, have um, they met a dachshund? Right, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, oh my gosh, you can name a bunch of little breeds and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I would ever have that. <laughs> yeah. They're, most of them are working dogs. So we have mm-hmm. like our, our companion small dogs, right? Those tend to be maybe a little bit easier going because they're just there, they're, they're there and they want to be your friends. Like, but a, a lot of our, our small dogs are working dogs. When you think about chihuahuas, right. they're working dogs, miniature schnauzers, toy fox terriers. Any terriers, yeah. Dachshunds. And then when you hear about behaviors, people seem a little bit shocked, I find, to, to be like, oh, this small dog is having these really bizarre behaviors. I'm like, I see these that behavior in dachshunds all the time because they're super hardy, they're super intelligent, and you're not doing anything with it. You're keeping it in your apartment and not working this dog that's a working dog. Right, exactly. So yeah, so the whole easier versus harder kind of thing, as far as the training aspect of things as well, no, um, like maybe they can get away with more things versus if it were a big dog, which it's a yes, because obviously we try to pick things, pick up small dogs all the time with a big dog. You can't really do that. Or we can just pull on a small dog, but that's not helping or that's not training. Right. So I think a lot of that training aspect of things is where I see most of the misconceptions are, are at that. Right. The other things are like, I wouldn't say this is a misconception. This is more just attitude and behavior from other people, but like petting small dogs versus some of the big dogs, you might not always do that or people are more likely to ask, but when it comes to little dogs, oh, come up to them and stuff. I, I've been really fascinated by the training aspect of it too, because I, that has not been my experience at all with 
most, I would say, of the small dogs I've had as clients. And it's because you really can't force them to do anything. You have to ask them. It's a, it's almost like cat. It's this lesson in consent. How do we invite these little dogs to participate with us? Because, and I don't think people realize this, you can force a big dog basically to do whatever you want. You can muscle a big dog. And I think we see that in a lot of training, especially with compulsion and maybe some balance. You can muscle these dogs and we see it happening. Even like a small person who knows what they're doing with a slip lead can basically force a dog to do whatever they want. It's impossible to do that with a little dog. You're going to break it if you try to do that. I completely agree. And that was exactly the kind of word was like that consent part of handling little dogs. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from with having little dogs because they are, they can be more sensitive. They can be sensitive because of their size. And, you know, that projects in extra barking or whatever behaviors that we see running away, not wanting to be handled, being nippy, yappy, right? And, my air quotes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I personally have seen more and I do think there is some misconceptions that happen around like you talked about that little dog syndrome, misconceptions around dog body language, and what's actually happening in those situations. And I do think and I think that's where you were getting is it is situational. But I have not found that little dogs think they're big. I have found that little dogs know they're small, and they're trying to be offensive in behaviors mm-hmm. instead of getting attacked first or getting scared first or whatever. Right, right, right. So when people tell me, right, and, and I hear that all the time, though, he thinks he's a big dog. He's, just like when they say the big dog thinks he's a lap dog, which <laughs> you can see that in a kind of a cute way, of course, but um, with the little dogs, it's like, no, they know their size and they they understand that they just have to act a certain way because they've been I wouldn't say forced but put in those situations it's exactly just exactly what you had said that they act more offensive so people think oh my big my little dog thinks he's a big dog but no it's those situations and the behaviors they've rehearsed in order for them to feel that they can get that thing away or that scary thing away or you know uh, whatever is making them kind of uncomfortable I do feel I almost feel like some people put little dogs in situations that really they shouldn't just because we can't. It's like dogs going to, little dogs being carried in purses, little dogs going to wherever, you know, um, a grocery store, the mall, all those places. And we just take them because we can, we can hold them. We can put them in carriers, strollers and all of that. We never ask them. (laughs) You know, some people don't train it. They just put it in there and then hope it goes okay. Yes. And I've been guilty of doing that too, because I had to take my, my, my toy fox Terry on the plane to go back East. And I didn't do the right amount of training with her. I really, I really messed that up. When we got on the plane, she was fine, but her just being in the carrier because we didn't train for it, she was having a hard time. And that's totally on me because again, like we think, oh, it'll be fine. It'll, you know, and it's just, it's so unfair. But what kind of came out of that situation too with her is I started looking more for, okay, what does this dog want to do? Like, what is what makes her happy? And yes. my big goal with her is to do therapy dog training because she loves people. She will actually bark at them or like vocalize at them. She'll be like, you know, like that little 
um, when they don't say hello to her. (laughs) (laughs) So that's telling me like, oh, she would be really happy going into a place and just like meeting new people. And so she would make a great therapy dog. Yeah, that's exactly it. Right. So, you know, we see what they're, what they actually enjoy, but no people, I mean, we, again, it's taking them out and sure, pet my little dog, pet my little dog. But imagine, I mean, big dogs, they at least got some height on them versus the big dog. I was going to be the little dog that has all these people bending over and coming over and coming at them. It's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. Some little dogs like it and some little dogs don't. And I think it's really important to look at that individual dog because I think the media has played a role into this too. The media with movies, books, you know, just how we talk about dogs, like all dogs should be cool with all things that humans want to do to them. And, you know, I think someone put it, I think I forget who said it this way, but it was this idea of like a calm dinner party versus like going out to the club. Some dogs want to do the equivalent of going out to the club. Some dogs need their calm dinner party at home with select friends. Right, right, right. Exactly. And that goes for all doggies. So with my littlest dog, they're just all different personalities, but uh, Cupcake is a therapy dog. She's really great at it. She does it more because, not because she loves, loves people like your dog, but she loves that it's an activity that we do together. Oh. Mm-hmm. So she, she, yeah, I know she does it more. So, you know, I limit her and like, she likes more one-on-one attention versus a group setting where people are just coming over to pet her and pet her. She likes to build a connection with people. Beans, on the other hand, she likes to, she's very independent, actually. She's a great lap dog, but she's very on her own terms. And she can come up to you, but she's just like, "Mm, then I'm leaving if I don't want to be around you, right? And then I have my very, very, very friendly dog now, my, my, uh, my medium, my border collie dog. And this is, it's different for me because I've never had like a super friendly dog before. So now we have the opposite issue of making sure that she doesn't have, um, doesn't get over aroused, jumping, mounting, Mm -hmm. all of that. So it's just, it's different. Yeah. And she's a teenager right now too. Correct. (laughs) Yes. A challenge. Yes. Yes. It's, Teaching her the mouthiness is probably her hardest thing and her jumping, keeping her from being around. She just loves people and she's so cute. And everybody's like, yes, let me, it's okay. Let her do it. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't work. No, I'm sorry. I, don't, I really don't want her doing that because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's getting mouthed by her, right? Yes. <laughs> and I love that you bring up that because that's important for dogs of all size too. But I think especially little dogs is advocating not only for your dog, but for yourself. So people don't always realize the implication of their behavior and how they're impacting. So if they're traumatizing a little dog and they're trying to convince you as the person that it's okay, but uh-huh. you know your dog and you know how it's going to impact them, just being able to step in and be like, actually, this isn't okay. You know, we can't do this. Right, right, right. So again, it goes all goes back to putting them in the right situations. You know, uh, going back to Cupcake, she loves, she's a downtown dog, I call her, because she loves being out and about. She loves like being on patios. She loves being able to walk around and, and she's very, very, very comfortable with that. Been around like loud music and things like that. And 
I would say we have like trained that because we worked, we've done little outings like that so often as she's grown up. But for my other dog, I don't know if I would actually push that on her as much because it's not something that she enjoys. She definitely prefers to be in a nice quiet home. She likes a nice walk in the park, but she doesn't care to be a bunch of people hustling and bustling noises and all of that. Being around other dogs, even I'm talking about my little, my littlest one, the eight pound one. Beans. Yeah. Beans. And that, I feel like that's such a beautiful testimony to your, the nature of your relationship that you can pay attention to your dogs and know their personalities and what they like and what they don't like. And that really helps them trust you. And I find that trust is really the most important thing when it comes to our dogs. Do our dogs trust us? Because especially if we're in emergency situations, so Lexi, my little toy fox terrier, when I, she is, she's a runner, like she's like fairly well and she's gone, especially if I'm not careful. And so with Jeeves, I had kind of focused more on like, kind of that, you know, like I'm in charge, I'm the leader, pay attention to me. And that, um, that has caused him to not trust me as much when I need him to do something. He's very suspicious of me. Whereas with Lexi, because her life was at risk with being a runner, I really had to switch that. But I had already, because of that, with Jeeves was before I became a trainer, Lexi was, um, was not. And so I really had to make sure I used all my toolboxes, uh, tools in my toolbox to really work with Lexi to save her life so that she would trust me in those mm-hmm. situations where she got away from me or slipped her, her harness or found a little hole at the, the dog park, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I love that. When I first started training, again, I know we discussed like my training journey, um, but one of the reasons why, one of the core memories of me wanting to switch over and why I didn't continue being kind of in that balance category is because my dog, Cupcake, my little dog was put on a slip leash. And Mm -hmm. it was not working. (laughs) It was actually really terrible. And after that, you know, my dog would not submit. She just wouldn't. She would just panic more. Mm-hmm. She would panic. The leash got tighter. And I said, no, I'm sorry. This can't work out. This is not going to work. She's not a dog that you can choke out. She's She will choke herself out. To, after that, uh, yeah, after that, that made me do the switch over. And luckily, I didn't, I don't feel like I mm, have to, had to pay for it as much. I think that she bounced back pretty quickly. And I think our relationship still still works out after that. That makes me come to a different uh, misconception that I kind of want to bring up. I mean, maybe not so much for the little dogs, I guess maybe in general, but like maybe that little dogs are a one person kind of dog or they're clingy. They um, just want to be, you know, on your lap all the time. So maybe that can... I have, I have either or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I have Cupcake, who is definitely my dog and will be next to me all the time. And then I have my other dog. It's like, mm, I'm going over here now. Mm-hmm. Every doggy is different in that way. Yes, I absolutely agree. Jeeves is my cuddler. He wants to be next to me. He'll find ways to cuddle up next to me. Lexi, she's got things to do. Yeah. <laughs> very busy. Like, she's like, mm. When she's tired, she'll burrow. So I know that's kind of a chihuahua a thing too, to like do the burrowing into blankets. Mm-hmm. So she'll burrow and kind of disappear, but she's sometimes she'll cuddle with me, but she's very independent. And little dogs can be confident. I think to say too, it's not, not all little dogs are on the offensive or, you know, trying to get ahead of stuff. Sometimes 
a little dog is a confident little dog. Mm -hmm. But I think we also have to remember too, a confident little dog trying to start things with a much bigger dog, it's not going to end well. So we have some responsibilities there. Right. That's exactly it. I love that you bring that up because, you know, for me, it's like, even though my little dog can bark, it's not something I let her rehearse because I would never, if it is in the wrong situation, another dog, a dog that's larger, it's going to be a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why it's the whole little dogs can get away with things, but really, should they? Or, you know, should they just because we can pick them up or just because we can turn them around or tug on the leash and they go with us? But, you know, we need to teach them what to do in those situations, you know, those alternative behaviors. Yes. A big example of this is I have two cat reactive dogs. Lexi's one and then my Belgian Malinois is the other. But Lexi, because our our neighborhood is basically overrun with cats, she's not going to do anything to them if she gets a hold of them. It's, you know, kind of laughable in a way that she she's like barking or chasing them. The one time she got away from me with a cat, she just chased it and wanted to play. So she's not trying to attack. But it's just not very pleasant for us that she would be barking at cats. So I did a transition cue of engage, disengage. And now when she sees a cat, she looks at me instead, which makes things a lot easier for everybody. Of course. Yes, definitely. I love that. That's because I live in an apartment. The adjustment has been seeing other dogs more often, especially cats. Cupcake, again, is She's very um, drivey <laughs> and she loves to chase birds, which I allow her to um, with permission, mm-hmm. with permission. She knows that the cue is to go, uh, go get the bird. I take her off leash and she can go. She always returns. She has a wonderful, wonderful recall. Now, when it comes to cats, though, <laughs> she gets so excited about cats. And that is one thing that we've also had to get really comfortable with living in a, an apartment is um seeing all the community cats and people's cats kind of walking around you know we work through that we work through it because and a little bit of it I don't want to be that that person that has that the barky dog right mm-hmm. although anybody else can have that barky dog I don't want to be that person yes. <laughs> I feel you that. Well, so yeah <laughs> So you've done a lot of training with Cupcake. So she's a therapy dog. You've done scent work. What 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 all have you done with her? Let me see. Well, we started with trick training. Actually, no, you know what? Yeah, we started with trick training kind of at home. And I guess definitely some obedience, right? Because she's the dog that I kind of started with training with as far as at my home. So we did a lot of like the sits and the stays and the weights and the leash walking and the focus and the heel and all of that. Finally, we got more into more fun things as I um, went through my journey and I decided I was like, wow, I love dog sports. I love, you know, nose work. We did a lot of scent training. So far she's qualified to be at a NW1 in, in NACSW. Uh, we just haven't continued. She's not a dog that I would actually want to trial with in scent work, but we've dove into other things. We've tried barn hunt. And that was very interesting for me because Cupcake is very food motivated. She loves to eat. But when it came to that, to the barn hunt, finding the rat, she would not take food. Oh. <laughs> she would just find it and she was like into it and stared and she just enjoyed that. Yeah. So that was something that we found something very instinctual for her to do 
because she's normally a very like, what are you telling me to do? I'm going to do it. So I did love that. Uh, so we did barn hunt. So we do do parkour and parkour or um, dog parkour is, you know, like urban agility where you can title by using your environment versus mm. having equipment. So oh. we do go out. Yeah. So we do go out and um, we have a, the college campus here is like a great place to practice where we have her jumping on things, going through and under and over and weave around. And so that has built a lot of, um, that's been a lot of fun. We've built a really great relationship once we started doing that too. Mm -hmm. I feel like working on distance and duration has really helped with that. And then we finally got into agility and she loves it. I love it too. I love the technical parts of it and the movements and everything. I'm lucky to find an instructor out here that um, kind of understands how I want to teach things. And that's been super helpful for us too. And she's been great. It's yeah, that's what we do a lot. She does, she's my helper dog as in um, when we do need a dog like that is neutral for another reactive dog, she's that dog because she can focus up, she can ignore other dogs. She's really good at turning it on and off. She knows when it's work mode and she knows when it's not work mode because when it's work mode, a dog can bark at her and she's, she knows to look at me. She knows to not look at the dog. She knows to lay down. When we're, you know, kind of just whatever, she, she can be set up by other dogs and she'll express that. So she's really great at that. And that's when, and before that, we started doing therapy dog work which also she understands when to turn it on and turn it off. As soon as I put on that specific harness bandana, she knows what we're going to do. And she knows that she's going to be um, visiting other people. Oh. So she's, I don't know. I feel like it's something, yes, that we have worked on, but she's also a dog that naturally has it. Mm -hmm. She has, we've had that relationship. So we've been able to do so much and she's a very resilient little dog because <laughs> she wants to do it all. One of my biggest struggles, and by the way, I, when I got her, I didn't know a thing about socialization, puppy socialization. I didn't know anything about, you know, setting your dog up to be in those environments that you want. So when I first really started, I was, it was frustrating. I was like, my dog does not do well in these environments. She used to be terrible riding in the car. Like our car rides were horrible and I hated taking her out and we had to really work on it so much that now it's like she settled in the car and I never created my dogs again I I got into it and um, I never used to create train my dogs but for sport you have to create your dog and because of that now she's great in the crate only her sport right other than that it's like no she's not yeah the generalization is exactly that's hard and that's yeah, there's so much, I think, that something I really try to work on, like with these podcasts or my education or anything I work on in general is what would someone who has no concept of this world, what would they need to know? So you mentioned socialization, crate training. So if someone has a little dog and they want to get into, you know, sports or agility, where should they start? Ooh, at home <laughs> at home I'm I'm serious you know because I didn't I was lucky in my background that I did start doing these things for fun before actually entering the group because 
I think the group part of it is so hard to to take steps back and work on little things and it can be rushed. And if you're rushing it, it's you're not going to get a lot out of it. You can get a dog that doesn't want to do it or that's never been introduced into certain things. And then being in a different environment with other dogs, with this new instructor, it's like, it's a lot of little things that I was like thinking, I was like, I'm so glad that I did this at home or we practiced on our own. And now I felt ready to join in in something like this. Cause I would say if I was a novice handler, even being in a novice agility class, I would have been like, this is crazy, it's too much. I wouldn't have felt successful with my dog. So at home, I know it's weird to think, but there are some good online places that you can begin with, right? Even for like sports, like agility, you knows where there are places that you can check, like Penzi Academy, of course. Um, they have a lot of great stuff on there. One thing that because of our business, Impetus Animal Training, you know, what, what we tell people is that we're trying to teach people to be dog trainers, right? We want them to get into training their dogs and have it become a lifestyle. So the way that we set up our puppies up to teens and everything, it's set up so that once you're done getting a lot of foundation work, being introduced to equipment, we do a lot of equipment introduction, both fit paws, some agility, some other tricks and stuff, balancing and getting comfortable and confident with that. And then after they hit their teens, and then after that, they might get their CGC or they choose to go into something fun like tricks class or sports class, like nose work. We do a fabulous focus class. So we do, we're like trying to set up people for success. So when they do feel like they're ready for a group or ready to try out a sport, yes, go do it. We have referrals for you. We can give you an agility referral. We can give you a barn hunt referral. Um, Some people go into um, confirmation, right? And obedience. So we don't teach that. We like, we like the the more loosey goosey fun stuff, but we can send them out to (laughs) wherever, right? So that's kind of how, that's why I'm so big on starting at home, you know, to set yourself up for success and your dog for success. I stress homework all of the time, whether group classes or private lessons. And I do, yeah, if people don't practice, I can, I can tell, I see a difference. And when people practice even just a little bit, it makes a huge difference and cementing those skills, being able to move forward. I love to say even Olympic athletes have to practice. You can be exactly. meddled, still need to practice. Right. And there's no, no rush, you know, when you're kind of, when you're in a group, like you're in a curricula, there's a levels, right? And so every week you're going to be leveling up and, or yeah, every session you're going to be leveling up, leveling up, which you can, but some dogs don't, or they need a little more time, right? Or you need to continue working on things. So that's kind of the other thing with group class. Like you might rush things when really you need to just take a step back still and work on certain things. And I do, you know, ask people, I say, you know, if you're not ready, continue working on this little step. It's okay if other people are, their dog is confidently doing this, just work on building that first. Yes. Right. So, you know, hopefully more group classes instill that kind of, you know, that kind of environment so that parents feel like they can make their dog successful. And if, and I think it's also important to add here too, is that if you don't feel comfortable in a group setting and, you know, talk to your instructor about that, or also try different instructors, different instructors have different teaching styles. So one style might be better suited for you than another. 
And the other thing I wanted to point out too, your instructor should be able to help you if you're not sure if you can advance or not. Your instructor should be skilled enough to be able to pay attention to that and be like, okay, now we can move to the next thing. Or, oh, let's practice that a little bit more. Something I forget as a dog trainer is that dog owners don't always know when or how to take things to the next level. And that's part of our responsibility, right? Is to that's exactly it. Yes, that's exactly it. You know, one thing that I feel like I've wanted to talk about, I don't know if that's something that maybe you and I, or you can have more um, um, of a chat and a chime in, is like that consent training for little dogs. I feel like that is a huge, huge thing that we don't ever, almost, almost never do for our little dogs, you know, whether it's dressing them up because people love dressing up their little dogs, you know, dropping them off at the groomers, of course, the nail trims and everything handling them putting them in tubs mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. you know putting them wherever on the table or wherever you want to put them we just I feel like consent training for the little dogs is something that I try to promote all the time with mm -hmm. them even if they get nippy right if yeah. they get snarly and nippy we tend to just or um, sometimes it's overlooked mm -hmm. maybe more often than if it were a big dog because of the outcome yes yeah yes I, I i'm doing this in particular with a pomeranian named koa so koa is often on my page because i do daily or not daily well weekly training walks with him and so part of that consent training and his vet commented on it recently he had a severe trauma happen where he almost lost his paw he actually lost part of it so vets handling were very, very serious. People couldn't approach the car to get him. Um, he was having a hard time being handled. So we worked on a paw cue so he could present the paw. And then we worked on elongating that. And we're working on teeth brushing and other handling. And part of what I do with it is I ask him to put his paws up on my leg. So when he's ready for handling, he's up. If he doesn't want to move forward, he gets down. And then I really try to read his cues that way. And a big thing I've noticed too is remembering to reward him if he says no. Like, it's okay. I'll take your no. Thank you. And reinforce that as well. I love that. And I think the consent part of it, the misconceptions is really important. And then the fact that little dogs can do things. You know, I'm definitely a testament to that. And there are awesome trainers out there that have performance dogs and terriers that um you know even actors right so and don't dismiss certain kinds of dogs i have maybe five chihuahuas in scent work now mm. <laughs> you know and it is amazing what those little dogs can do tabanese chisus you know uh papillons mm -hmm. right of course we know the papillons they are, you know they're bred for doing lots of things like that but still it's doing fun things with your little dog other than just being at home, you know, yes. bring out that, that, that big dog heart from inside and have them go do stuff, you know, things that they want to do, not just being in a backpack in a stroller, going to the mall, going, you know, to lazy dog. It's a restaurant here that has a dog patio and stuff, but, you know, having them actually get to do those behaviors, they would be able to do naturally right? Not just be a purse dog and not just be a, a, an accessory. 
Yes. I love that. I actually do long lead decompression walks with Lexi, my, my 10 pound dog. And she's never happier than when she gets freedom to go be a wild dog safely on leash. But with that long lead, uh, she's just so happy on it. It's really good for her. Yeah. I would love that. Well, Vivian, I think that was all the questions I had. So I'm going to go ahead to sign off. And then I have one final question for you. This has been a Telltale Dog the Podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, certified dog trainer in Central Arkansas, and my guest today, Vivian Pineda. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of 7 Second Chance, and find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify. And stick around for after the music for some final advice from Vivian. Vivian, before we sign off completely, I would love for you to share your thoughts. If someone is thinking about getting a little dog, what are some things to look for, especially if they would like a dog that they would like to do things with? Oh man, um, definitely think about what you want to do with your dog. That's always a big thing. What is their lifestyle? Do you plan on traveling? Do you want to get into sports? Do you want to do group classes? Do you want to train your do you want to catch potato do you want to walk with your dog do you want your dog to be around other dogs oh my gosh so many things Mm -hmm. (laughs) just really look at your lifestyle and think about what you want to do what you picture your dog doing and then start looking into breeds or start being around places where maybe there are other dogs I know this seems weird but like what about going to a dog park without a dog <laughs> you know, and kind of like, oh, I like that dog. I like how they act and seeing what is that dog like, right? Of course, if you decide to go the breeding route, I'm always big advocate in figuring out what's your breeder like and what are they doing with the dog you're trying to get. Avoid pet stores and Craigslist. Although, yes, you can find some great dogs, I guess it happens, but take your time on that. If you're going to adopt a dog, take your time on that too. I found my dog on Facebook <laughs> and it took me a long time to think about if I really wanted her, I went to go see her and then I finally got her. So if you want the dog, just do your research, think about your lifestyle, be ready. And yeah, it would. and if you need help, there's help. <laughs> there's help. <laughs>